Welcome to the Weird Science Marvel Comics Podcast, episode 139. It's been a couple weeks since we were on the regular feed, so I'd like to welcome everybody back. In the meantime, we were still doing some things on our Patreon, but also... This week, I was in the letters page for the Miles Morales book. So if you want to go check that out, I am W.S. Jim, the first letter, uh, I'd like to proudly say. And the W.S. does stand for weird science. If you were wondering, you might have thought it stood for Wimpy Sandwich, which, yes, indeed, was my radio name in Detroit back in the 40s. Uh, But we are also on Twitter at WS Marvel Comics. If you follow us, we'll follow you back. We have a website that is WeirdScienceMarvelComics.com where we review almost every issue that Marvel puts out each and every week. Most of the reviews drop at 9 a.m. Eastern Standard Time on Wednesday. But sometimes we have things that come up early when they're allowed and also things that come out later uh, when they're allowed as well, I guess. But on the email side of things, if you want to email us to the show, email is usually read on Monday nights when Brandon joins me. And that is weird science, Marvel Comics at gmail.com. A new thing that we're going to be doing is a voicemail line, a rant and rave line. It's an online thing. You can go to speakpipe.com, S-P-E-A-K. P-I-P-E dot com slash weird science, one word. I'll have that in the show notes where you can leave a rant and or rave. If you are a listener of the DC Comics podcast, we used to do this a lot on that podcast. We stopped doing it because of the way I record it, but this is a way that I can get back to that. I will be doing the voicemails on the Friday night show, the one you're listening to now. Uh, you can call in with whatever you want. You can be angry at books, me, Marvel. Uh, your mom, I, I don't know. Yeah, just a call in and, you know, voice things. Or you can be happy with things like me, the books, your mom, you know, whatever. And you can ask questions and it will be an interactive thing. I will listen and comment on some things or, you know, butt in as I always do. I, I think that's why I want the voicemail. So I have something to butt in on a show that I am there by myself. But again, that will be in the show notes if you want to do that. There is a bit of a time limit. I think it's five minutes. I may put that down up. I don't know. We'll have to see how this goes. Uh, it got a little out of hand on the DC Comics podcast. At one point, we had over two hours of rant and raves. And that is a little bit ridiculous, but also was involved in a uh, time when the podcast was 13 hours each week. So that's ridiculous as well. And yes, I didn't miss say that. And there was a point where at, at one point on the DC podcast, we ended up, it was nine hours and people were complaining that it was so short then. Uh, but we also have a Patreon where you can support us and get a ton more shows where you can actually 
pretty much get about 13 to 14 hours of shows each week, uh, including the regular podcast as well. But that's at patreon.com slash weird science. Now, while we were off, and the reason we were off was because it was a fifth Wednesday and annuals week, if you will, though Marvel doesn't really play that annuals game as much as DC does. But every month that has five weeks, only a couple a year, the fifth week will always be on the Patreon from now on where you can go and get a bunch of shows. If you're paying attention on the regular feed, this is episode 139. The last episode on the regular feed was 134. And that leaves a lot in between. And the in-between were four episodes of our podcast and each one had at least two books and a lot of them were with me uh but the last one the monday show that we usually have three books or so that was with brendan we had three books but i'll run down the lineup of what we did we had episode 135 with avengers 30 and star wars number two episode 136 was amazing spider-man daily bugle number one and dr strange surgeon supreme number two Episode 137 was Ravencroft number one and Spider-Ham number two. And episode 138 with Brandon was Avengers of the Wasteland number one, Hawkeye Freefall number two, and Thor number two. So I believe that was about nine books that we did on that. Let me see. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. I was right. Oh, my. See, I, I am not that dumb. Right, Billy? Duh. Yeah, see, she knew. She knew there were nine books. She just wasn't telling me. Uh, but yeah, if you want to go listen to that, but also this week we got back to the swing of things. And even before this show, we had our weekly spotlight each and every week. We do a spotlight where there's two books chosen by the bad butts of the fresh start crew beep boop. And this week they picked X-Men fantastic Four number one by Chip Zdarsky and the end captain America number one. Eric Larson did the writing and the art on that one. So if you want to hear me and Brandon talk about those and all those other shows, so really 10 books being reviewed all around, go over to patreon.com slash weird science. All these will be in the show notes as well. Now, at the beginning of this episode, you heard that intro music that ended up saying that we talk about two books on this show. We're going to talk about more, right? Yeah. All right, Diamond Dave. We're going to talk about three books tonight. I'm going to start off with Magnificent Miss Marvel number 12, a book that I have been enjoying. Brandon's not reading, so it's a perfect book to be on the Friday night show. And Magnificent Miss Marvel number 12 is written by Saladin Ahmed, art by Minkyu Young, inks by Juan Velasco, colors by Ian Herring, and letters by VCs Joe Caramanga. And there is a big, big recap deal. Which shows you, even with this story arc with Kamala and her dad being sick and now in the hospital, still a lot going on, uh, kind of in the background, in the side, maybe right in front, above, I don't know, wherever it is. There is a bunch more going on, which is kind of a almost like a surprise sneak attack because it does end up feeling like this arc has just been, you know, not really having a lot of things going yet. But there is. And I really do like it. Now, when we get out of this arc, this is the last issue of the arc. We have a really big thing coming up that I'll talk about at the end. And so when you're getting through this issue, unfortunately, there are a couple things that feel a little bit forced to kind of get things moving. In the end, I don't think it hurts it that much, though. And here is the recap. Recently, Kamala's father fell ill with a seemingly incurable disease. 
But not all hope was lost. Dr. Strange agreed to operate after theorizing that Mr. Khan's illness stems from latent inhuman DNA. He didn't just theorize. He was right. He was darn right. But Kamala was pulled away from the hospital and Mr. Hyde stormed the building. She defeated Mr. Hyde with the aid of her new nanotech costume, which she recently acquired during the venture on an alien planet. Now, on an aside, it does seem like he was sent over to the brand new Ravencroft Institute as well. But after the costume became uncontrollably violent, it separated itself from Miss Marvel and transformed into its own being, Storm Ranger. Storm Ranger was programmed by the Kree Empire to deal with threats lethally, and it registered its next target to be Discord, Kamala's former friend turned supervillain named Josh. When, Kamala's, when Kamala tried to stop it, Storm Ranger took off into the night sky, dropping Kamala in the Hudson River. And that's where we left Kamala sinking in the Hudson River. And it's funny because you have Doctor Strange in this issue as well, working on Kamala's father. And between issues of number one and two of the new rebooted Doctor Strange book, the Surgeon Supreme book, he got dumped in the Hudson River as well. It'd be funny if the one saw the other as they're going down. Uh, Doctor Strange uses his hocus pocus to get out of it. We'll see that Kamala uses something even better or something ends up showing up to save the day that was better. It's Bruno. But we start off the issue with Dr. Strange coming out and telling Kamala's family that there's good news, bad news situation with her father, with Yusef Khan. Uh, He is not going to die. It seems like, you know, he's not he's going to live. But there is some bone cell death that is occurring Doctor Strange is trying to figure this out. Eventually, he figures it out that basically he needs some, you know, inhuman blood. He needs something, and it's Kamala's blood. He needs a transfusion from Kamala, or this cell death will keep going. Now, this cell death does seem to kind of spell out this is more along the lines, at least at this point. It looks like he's going to live, but the cell death, which would probably you know, overtake him eventually if it was just left undone, but it could cause damage. It could cause him not to be able to walk. It may cause, you know, that sort of thing if they don't get it fixed quick, which becomes the big part of this issue. Uh, But at least, you know, you end up having Mr. Khan. He is going to live, as we can tell right now. And even as Stephen goes off, starts thinking to himself, it's, it's tough when you are a surgeon, but you're also a you know, a uh, sorcerer supreme, a sorcerer, because, yeah, it'd be very easy to use magic. This is something that comes up in the Doctor Strange books all the time, and especially now in the Surgeon Supreme deal of the idea. Yeah, it'd be easy to wave my hand and and fix things uh, with magic, but magic and science, not a great mix. You end up with medicine and magic, not a great mix. And also there's a cost, all the magic, something that they really do push. So while he's doing this, while I do think that he's using some magic, you even see him using some. You can't just cure things with magic. So that's where you end up getting the tension of this issue as it goes. Uh, Kamala, though, she's sinking in the Hudson when all this is going on. And luckily, her knight in shining armor. Bruno ends up showing up. It's more of a knight in shining hovercraft because he has made a hover car that he is now putting to the test, maybe a test run here the first time he's used it. And Bruno's a smart guy. So he has this hover car again, though, it just kind of shows up here, you know, there on the Hudson where he ends up going right to the spot she is and reaches down and saves her. But it's great that he's the one that does it. 
uh, when he ends up fishing her out. Her suit's gone, obviously. She's just in a T-shirt and shorts. And he says, you know, what's up? Where's your suit? And she explains about the whole deal of its Cree connection, of the idea that the suit has gone bad. And the the only thing that I really, really, it's a nitpick, but kind of gets on my nerves. She does call it the Storm Ranger nano suit, this bit where she's talking to Bruno. Then in a couple panels later says, we have to go get Storm Ranger before it does or she does any damage. They call her she. Uh, And he's Storm Ranger. Is that what you're calling it? No, Bruno, open your ears. What do you have the Hudson River water still in your ears? Because she said that before. It's it's a little thing. But, you know, he needs to listen to his girlfriend here. Uh, And she just says it's the Storm Ranger nano suit uniform worn by the ancient elite order of Cree frontier scouts. The thing is, the A.I., said it in the intro paragraph the recap it's more deadly it's going to do things the Cree way but also it has absorbed a lot of stuff from kamala but twisted it into this bad version and i think that this is a cool play what salonina meta has been doing in this is the idea that it's a change of it you know it's a costume change number one some people didn't like it we see that it was only for a little bit of time so they can calm down. Everybody, you know, nobody likes change. And I love her original, her real, you know, costume. But I, I, I kind of like the Storm Ranger as well as a different deal. But it also is beyond that. You know, you, you get characters change their costumes all the time, sometimes forever, sometimes for a little bit. We have Captain Marvel in a new one in the the deal going on now, stuff like that all the time. So with this, though, it's also a kind of a symbiote. It's also now kind of a clone. So it's a, a clever way to get all these things all rolled up into one and to have Kamala have an enemy that when you defeat it, and it just kind of goes away. So you end up with the original costume back. You don't have that. I, I actually like the play of what it is, uh, but they're going to have to track it. Uh, and as they go, obviously, Kamala needs her costume, right? She needs it. <laughs> this is Bruno is the in this issue to really force things to work and then force things to an end because he has a hover car. That just finds her. They go and find her. Now she ends up needing a costume. He just happened to bring the original costume with him from all those times when people loved wearing those costumes. It's basically he says, I got the costume, you know, from it was lying around for when everyone was dressing up like Miss Marvel. And so he's just got it. She puts it on in a in a, a find kind of a funny little thing here, too, where Salonin Ahmed has to make sure to make it that, you know, Kamala doesn't do anything bad, Bruno's there, whatever. So she's going to put on the costume. And you can't have her just put on the costume on this hoverboat with Bruno without somebody on Twitter saying, what did she do? Strip down and put it on? Oh, man, that's bad. Uh, so what Saladina Med goes, and he's he's thinking. He, he's thinking ahead. He has her mention, Man, it's kind of disgusting putting this costume on over wet clothes. I'm like, yep, you just you just got it so that people can't yell that she stripped down. It made me laugh. But yeah, she puts that on over her clothes. Now they have to go find Josh, who's Discord, the villain, and also the Storm Ranger suit. Unfortunately, 
they are both converging right now on the Rutgers campus. And, uh, you know, if you're there, and this is the Newark campus of Rutgers, and I just hope they have all of those food trucks that I always hear from the Rutgers campus. I, I don't know if they're at the Newark campus but they have some crazy food trucks with some challenges you get to eat all these sandwiches and stuff uh but yeah while this is going on they're heading over because yeah they're like okay storm rangers on the attack we got to get there josh is going to get killed this suit does not mess around and it really doesn't this isn't one of those where you think well you know hey josh he'll be fine you know no no this is a kree battle suit that is now on the warpath and it is going to kill josh Uh, That is very important because all of a sudden an apparition of Dr. Strange shows up and says, Kamala, Miss Marvel, uh, I need your blood. I'm not Dracula's, but I need to suck your blood or not suck it. Just get it because I need a transfusion here for your father. Your father is going to live, but he's having this cell death. And the only way I have figured out we can stop it is with somebody who has the same blood type deal and also in human that's kind of the it's one of those now in the marvel universe you go to go to a blood drive and they're like are you a o inhuman you gotta spell this out now uh but they end up dr strange needs kamala and this is where you get the big thing of the issue it's a sophie's choice if you know what that means uh where she has to decide do i go and save josh kind of a jerk now or Do I go and help my dad? You know that Kamala wants to go help her dad. 100%. 158.2%. She wants to go help her dad. But she's Miss Marvel. She is a hero. Josh is going to be killed by something that she's responsible for. She brought that suit, just like a Spidey, Secret Wars, Symbiote. You know, here is her version of that. And she is fully responsible for whatever that suit does and she knows what that suit will and can do uh bruno's very shocked but they're gonna go save josh first she's got to go save josh first then she will get to her father unfortunately there's going to be lasting consequences it seems for her father but josh who's a jerk will live and kamala is not going to have that on her conscience now while they're going you get more of bruno as the let's first he's like the the force fresh force here uh, does that mean the forced force fresh i don't know I, I was trying to make like a crew that he'd have some bebop crew but i, I didn't do it very well uh he is now going to force the deal where he's looking up some stuff while they're hover carring around And he ends up saying, okay, what we need to do, I figured out this suit, Storm Ranger suit. It's feeding off itself, but it can do this forever the way it's doing it. What you have to do is supercharge it, overcharge it, short it out. It'll get done, you know, just make it attack you until it overcharges and then fritzes out. All right, so let's go. And indeed, they get there right in time. It looks like the Storm Ranger suit is going to be killing Josh any second. Kamala comes, starts talking a lot of smack. It then ends up, you know, a fight. And the fight is not very long. The fight basically is let's smash into the football field. Let's do a little. Let's have Kamala grab it and say, come on, fight me. Use more power. It does and disappears. That's it. It ends up. It blows up. She ends up coming down. 
uh, and ends up telling Josh, you know, get out of here. Uh, you know, I, I don't really like you. Go. Uh, but when Bruna comes and says, we got to go, we got to go help my dad. And she does get there. But it's too late, too late in the thing of they don't know the lasting consequences yet, but there was some troubles. There was some cell death, and it may be that her father will never be able to walk without a cane. And and that's something that, yeah, we, we thought he was going to die at one point. So he's better than that. You know, walking with a cane, that's a little better than dying. But it's still something that could have been avoided if Kamala would have went right there, but she couldn't. And she does blame herself, though. And, uh, you know, with all of this, she even says to her mom, and you have to remember, her mom and dad at one point did know her secret identity, did know she was Miss Marvel. They don't anymore from when they went to that planet uh, in outer space and got the suit. Um, but she just, I'm sorry, I should have been back. This is all my fault. And her mom's, no, no, how could this be your fault? This wouldn't be your fault here. Um and you end up where it's a good scene to show that she does blame herself. And she thinks that, you know, this is a lot of her problems. Again, if you really do go down the line, she had to go save Josh, but kind of was from something she did and brought back and all these. So she blames herself. Well, it seems, though, as we end one week later, she is a little bit happier. We don't get to see her father. I, I was hoping because even when this ends in the, you know, in the hospital, Dr. Strange says, it's great. This, you know, transfusion from Kamala worked great. And from here on out, you know, he's only going to have two or three days in the hospital. He's going to be going home. So her father is home. Uh, We don't get to see him yet. What we do get to see is Kamala and Bruno going on a date. They're going on date night, even though they don't want to call it date night because that's yucky. I I don't know if they're going to be smooching in the balcony. I know that that's what all the people do, right? Smooching in the balcony. Go to go to make out point afterwards. Is that what they you end up having a little thing here, though, that Kamala obviously does not want to tell her family that Bruno and her are dating. Uh, there are a lot of things involved with that. Bruno seems upset at first, like you didn't tell anybody. Are you embarrassed about me? You know what's going on? But Bruno's just. <laughs> He's just too nice a guy where it only takes like one sentence. No, no, no. She's like, no. And boy, if everybody, guy or girl, has heard this before of, I just want this to be between me and you, just for us for now. Like, no, no, you're embarrassed. But Bruno just like, all right, that sounds cool. You need time? Yeah, that's all we got. Now let's go. And he even like makes the joke. You ready to go watch a movie like two extremely, almost aggressively platonic friends and not let our hands touch? And you end up having Kamala happy. Oh, totally. I'm ready. And it's funny, too, if you you look at the page, it makes me laugh here because Kamala yells that as she puts her hands up in the air. There's two ladies that are in the distance waving as if Kamala's waving to them like an epic fail. Like she's doing this and like, oh, oh, hi. Uh, Yeah. Oh, she's not waving at us. I think they're going to go off very embarrassed uh, because of that. But that ends the arc. And I liked it. I I really did like this arc. This issue, I said, it was a little bit forced. The forced, fresh, fresh force. I'm never going to be able to make that work. I'm telling you, I'm recording right now, just as an aside. It's 2.30 a.m. I'm really tired. I just got started. So that's why I'm a little goofy. But I give this issue an eight. And the eight is for people who are fans of this book. 
who have been reading and enjoying it. This is not a jumping on point in any stretch of the means, you know, and it's one of those where I can see the problems, the things that are forced, all that, but it has the big moments and it has the big moments that make Miss Marvel, Kamala, this book, even G. Willow Wilson's book before Solomon and Med take over. It, it just keeps hitting the right notes for this character and this book for, I hope, most of the fans who have been, you know, with her from the start here. Uh, family, you know, that responsibility. Uh, Bruno, I'll mention him like seven times because I love Bruno. Having Doctor Strange there makes it even cooler here. We have Tony Stark in this arc as well. But again, this book is about Kamala. It's about her family, but it's also about her learning how to be a superhero and also being an awesome one because she does know how. She's not really learning, but it's one of those learning processes, I guess, for everyone. And the idea that she had to choose between saving a supervillain and, you know, her dad and she picks a supervillain just shows you why she's such a great character and shows you why I love her. Uh, the next issue is the next thing I said. I was going to start talking about this uh, right away because you are going to be introducing a new hero, Amulet, and he looks pretty darn cool coming in here at a point where I'm sure that it's going to be one of those, like, I don't think she's going to be romantically connected to him, but I think that she's going to want to spend some time with a new hero, has a little bit of her background, stuff like that. And I think Bruno might end up getting jealous. You have that. But you also have a point where she's kind of down on herself as a hero. And I think that he's going to come and give her that spark back as well. And he looks awesome. I see him in the thing. At the end, you have introducing Amulet. And he looks pretty darn cool. Now, in an aside, I do want to mention, maybe I shouldn't, but I will. I also wrote in the Miss Marvel. We'll see if I get into that. And in that one, I'm Jim ws i switched it up i flipped the script on them we'll see because i don't know if they have rules about oh we can't keep printing this jerk uh so i hope that i get in that as well again praising kamala because i love her as well and one of my favorite heroes in all of comics right now uh but i'm going to move on to the next book which is a book that's pretty much about a villain uh, and uh something that i really love all right it is star wars darth vader Number one, I'll tell you, if you haven't read this issue, there's going to be some spoilers. I know we spoil just about every book that we talk about. I do want to just bring it up with Star Wars with this book, because in Star Wars, spoilers and twists and turns and things like that are so big to the overall stories. And there's a huge one in this. The cliffhanger is humongous. And I just don't want to spoil it fully to people who aren't aware that I will spoil it. And I'll stop before that. But if you are interested in this book, I'll tell you right now, it's very good. If you are on the fence, if you're like, I don't know, I, I kind of like the last Darth Vader deal by Charles Soule, but maybe I... Now, th this is already from one issue, and I think that it's worth at least getting this first issue, if not following it from here on out. If you are reading the Star Wars book that we're up to issue number two in that, I say definitely get this uh, Darth Vader book because in a, in a cool way, it's very connected. You even have some characters, side characters that showed up in that Star Wars number two that we see in this issue of Darth Vader, though. They they don't fare as well in the Darth Vader deal, but who really does fare well 
when you're hanging out around Darth Vader uh, much at all. But I'll give you the credits here. It's written by Greg Pak, art by Raffaele Ayenko, colors by Niraj Menon, and letters by VCs Joe Caramanga. I apologize if I ended up butchering anybody's name. I, I did not uh, mean to, but I'm pretty bad at that you end up having a very short crawl and i think that a lot of these things the crawls are getting shorter and shorter and it just i said in my review uh, i mean they're supposed to be crawls what are these sprints people but also it's just here's the crawl which sets up the story just so that i can you know laugh at a little more dark heart of the sith part one Darth Vader failed to turn Luke Skywalker to the dark side. Luke escaped, but now knows the truth. He is Darth Vader's son. For the first time in many years, Darth Vader's path is uncertain. That's it. And uh, even in the episode nine, the crawl shocked me how quick and to the point, whatever that was as well. So this, I think the crawls from now on, it's just going to be, you know, episode 15. It's Star Wars, jerks. That's what it'll say. And I'll be like, you tell me. Tell it like it is there, Star Wars crawl. Always getting right to the matter of things. And really, one of the biggest shade throwers is the Star Wars crawl. Always walking around, pointing out everybody else's problems. Never likes to hear his, though, or hers, whatever the crawl may be. Uh, the, The crawl ends up being very, very sensitive when you turn it back on them. Uh, which is something that I heard they're working on in therapy. And yes, it is late. I don't know what I'm talking about. You end up having the issue start with Darth Vader thinking about his recent fight with Luke, where he ended up, you know, kind of getting the hand separated from the arm of Luke's and the the, the uh, lightsaber and all that. And he's as he's thinking about it, he is thinking, you know, that, that son of mine, pretty strong, also pretty weak. And I'm pretty pissed off about that. And this is where you're going to play this idea of, you know, how how do you do this sort of thing between movies? Because you can't have the deal of anything really changing. So the whole idea is that Darth is going to seek out the people that hid Luke and, and kill them. And they made him weak. It's very much if you are a, a DC reader. Very much the M.O. a Joker, the kind of thing of like everybody else around Batman makes him weak. Everybody who helped raise Luke Skywalker made him weak. If I would have had him, I would have turned him into a fighting machine. He would have been awesome. Now he's just kind of lame. But you have Darth going back to the Star Destroyer and end up just getting in his shuttle and skedaddling out. He is cutting out and it leaves... Admiral Piet, who has a lot of troubles, old Admiral Piet. Uh, now the trouble is that the Emperor is calling for Vader, and Vader ain't answering, and he's gone. And it's funny, too, because you end up having the Vizier, the Grand Vizier, call at first and saying, uh, the Millennium Falcon escaped. The Emperor wants to talk to Lord Vader. And then Piet's like, oh, God, let me get him. Let me get him on the line. Uh, Yeah, Vader, you there? Answer in, please. Don't put this right to voicemail. I need to talk. Oh, no, there goes the shuttle. This one guy's like, Lord Vader, shuttle as it takes off. And luckily in the Star Wars universe, you don't have a a lot of cursing. I think the F-bomb would have been right out of Piet's mouth right there as he sees Vader go off and says, "Uh, yeah, I'd like to inform that. The emperor that Lord Vader is currently unavailable. And I, you know, you have the emperor like unavailable. What? He's in the bathroom. He's doing paperwork there. Uh, is he in that thing where his helmet's off and he's all disgusting because I'm pretty disgusting now. I don't mind that. Is he on a date? I mean, what is this? What does it mean currently unavailable? 
uh, yeah, he he left. He he left without telling me. And I like the the whole deal. The emperor is in his chair, and he's like, "What? Lord Vader's currently available, unavailable?" <laughs> the emperor goes, "Is he now?" And then just starts laughing. Like so, so the, he's never heard anything funnier than the idea. That Lord Vader is unavailable. I think he thinks that he's in the bathroom. That's hilarious. But you end up having Vader there uh, going off. And we are introduced to a kind of a new character, a character that's going to be kind of a little buddy, a little buddy of Darth Vader's. And it is needed. Darth Vader does a lot of scowling. Even behind that mask, you know, he's scowling. He ain't happy. But he's there. You know, he looks out windows a lot. He chokes out people. I mean, really, the, the most exciting thing you're going to get is him choking out somebody and then snapping their neck, maybe because they ended up, I don't know, getting the last bag of chips or something and Vader gets pissed. So you need some little bit of uh, not comic relief, which I was afraid this robot was going to be. And it's droid. It's a droid Z67. And uh, what it ends up, though, is it allows the dialogue to go without Vader talking. Vader is not one who's going to sit and narrate for us. He's not one of those characters that's going to let us know what he's feeling. So you need something. And so you have Zed, I'll call him uh, from here on out. Zed's there to pretty much give the narration, pretty much to keep us up to pace of what they're doing, what they're planning, things like that. There's a lot of, you know, hey. Vader, are we going to Tatooine? (sighs) Yes. You know, there you go. And so they end up loading up the stuff. There's also some uh, death troopers, which are always cool to have around at a party. And they're going to go off to start their little purge of anybody who helped Luke. Well, that leads us right to Tatooine. That makes sense, except for the fact that we know pretty much nobody's alive there. Vader doesn't know, but it's a cool scene. Uh, as this is going on, you also have Darth Vader open up Zed's little compartment. We know that he's good with droids. He ends up kind of mixing some wires. He cuts the blue one, as you always do, connects the red with the yellow. And the next thing you know, he is pretty much rigged to self-destruct if he does anything stupid, but also to end up forgetting everything that's going to go on in the series. Again, because you can't have record of this going on because it's got to kind of go in with the movies and things like that. But they end up going off to see what's up on Tatooine. When you go to Tatooine and they get close to there, you end up seeing a certain bunch of gang members, space gang Tatooine crips. I don't know. They're there. They're the same ones that ended up going up against Lando and Chewbacca when they went to go to Tatooine in issue number two of Star Wars, where they were going to find or go get an audience with Jabba the Hutt. These seem to be the same guys, same ship, same species type deal. Uh, So it's cool to have that connection. Now, they end up seeing this Imperial shuttle and think, okay, an Imperial shuttle without an escort, that's odd. I bet you that they're here a little bit undercover, which means that they're doing nonsense, which means they might have money, that they're bribing people. This will be awesome. It's going to be an easy target. They're going to land. We'll follow them. We'll then attack. We'll steal all their stuff. I mean, really, what could go wrong? It can't be Vader, right? And it is. They don't say that. But like, call the gang. We got an easy pickings going on. You do see Vader land with Zed and these death troopers. They end up going to a console there where the imperials have some database and they go and look and then that leads them 
to the Clegg Lars farm. That is very, very familiar to any Star Wars fan. And when you go there, you end up having the whole deal where, you know, Shmi was there, Anakin's mother, Darth Vader's mother, and he's having flashbacks to a lot of the different things. And you get the idea again that you get these weird feelings about this issue where Darth Vader, bad. I mean, we all know this. Well, we also know in Jedi that he ends up, you know, reverting back to being good. Luke saves him. So we know that eventually there'd be conflicting feelings. Well, we'll see here that that's not eventually. It's all the time. And he does remember things. You know, you you rarely get into the mind of Darth, especially at this point, you know, so close to when he will turn on the Emperor to save Luke. Um, so they go down and he's remembering his mother. He's remembering his, you know, aunt and uncle, his, you know, or brother and sister deal really with would be Owen and a Baru. Um, and you just always think of it, uh, uncle Owen and, uh, aunt Baru. But yeah, you get all these, uh, things going on in his head. In the meantime, he does end up seeing some stuff about Luke and it is, you know, you want to queue up cats in the cradle. Because it is the boy was just like me. I mean, really, he ends up finding out through this that Luke was very much uh, a good pilot. He also had an affinity with droids, not as much as Darth did, but the whole deal. And as you're looking at things, you get to see one of the most famous oil baths that you've ever had in cinema, where uh, old C-3PO liked to take his little oil bath there. Uh, didn't use it that much, but it's empty here. But even Zed sees it like, oh, my, that's a really nice oil bath. It's empty. But, boy, he, this guy, whoever this Luke was, he knew how to take care of droids. Uh, but in the meantime, you also see the start of Darth remembering, you know, his time, Anakin, with Padme, Amidala, and the progression of good times of him just fiddling around where he can use you know his hands and do the robotic stuff and that helps him forget about all his troubles to the point where he ends up knowing that Padme is pregnant and he wants them to just rule the universe and she says no let's just run away we don't need this you've seen the prequels she wants to just go away and forget of all this nonsense and he's like no 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 I'm so powerful now I'm going to rule everything I am the biggest baddest thing I'm more powerful than the chancellor I could do all this and then in a cool deal you do see where you know, Padme said to Anakin, come on, come with me, we'll go away. And then Anakin saying, no, stay with me and we'll rule. It gets a little bit of what happened with Luke. And I think that's a really clever thing for Pac to show is that there is this idea of families apart together, all this thing going down. And when he did say to Luke, you know, come join with me, father and son, we can rule the world. Uh, that failed. With him, with Padme, you know, come on, we can rule it all. We don't have to run away. Let's do it. She ended up leaving and supposedly dying. I say supposedly. uh, And uh, Luke, though, he decided just to pretty much almost commit suicide uh, rather than to be with Darth. And I think that Darth's just sitting there. It's like, why, why do people hate me? Why don't they love me? These are people that are supposed to love me. And you get this crazy deal. And, And I'm telling you, a character like a Darth Vader, you know so well. That when you do, and, and I'm saying Star Wars fans, and so when you do end up having a 
Darth Vader, especially a solo series like this, there's times when you end up having a scene develop. Darth Vader has a mask on. He He's not smiling. You don't see the tears coming through the mask. But because we know this character so well, if there is a scene that we know that Darth is having some emotions, he's, he's sad or whatever, I'm telling you, I don't know per se, that a Greg Pak says to the artist, hey, uh, make him do the sad look or try to make it a little. Is there something that accents a little more that makes But you can still see the emotions in it. And it is it is a crazy thing as a fan of Star Wars and a fan of Darth Vader and all these things that because we know him so well, know all the troubles and all just the worst stuff that happens uh, that you end up really do see emotions through that emotionless mask. And in this, you end up seeing Luke falling as Darth is watching him fall into, you know, the innards of Cloud City. And it kind of goes and switches to be Amidala. And then you realize, oh, my, Darth is sad. He He doesn't have his family. And they keep leaving him in the worst ways. He is pissed. And the other thing in this as well is the idea, too, of one of the things that really does start setting Anakin to show us that he's so bad is when his mom ended up being dead. Uh, when he went to go save her and she, he was too late. These, the uh, the Tuscan Raiders, the Sam people ended up killing her. And he, you see that scene like, I killed them all. And you do end up having Zed, like as he's reporting. And it's, it's a neat juxtaposition of knowing what happened is seeing Darth Vader remember the stuff, but then seeing the official or hearing from Zed the official report. Well, Shmi was reported as dead, and soon after, a bunch of Sam people ended up killed, you know, split in half. And uh, yeah, it's kind of a neat kind of deal. Now, with all this, they end up going outside of the farm. They do end up where Zed finds and detects where the graves of Clegg and Shmi are. And so Poor little Zed. He doesn't know what's going on. He doesn't know Anakin is Darth Vader. And all through this, you end up having Zed telling reports, oh, yes, that this would make sense. That was where Anakin Skywalker, not realizing that it was, you know, Darth. So as he's there, you have poor Zed trying desperately to figure out what Darth Vader can do to take his anger out on something. He was there to kill people that are dead now so there is no revenge to be had there's no whatever to be had here <laughs> so poor zed ends up detecting where shmi and clegg's graves are goes over it's like yeah the graves are over here darth we can dig them up and desecrate this crap i mean we'll really show them uh, you know it, they're all de- we'll, we'll scatter the bones we'll do all this and it will serve as a warning that nobody gets in our way this is not anything Darth is going to let happen. And he ends up using the force to kind of push Zed away, clear the space where there is the graves. They're not going to be touched. Well, here's where you get a little bit of a force deal, because at this point, Darth Vader is pissed. He needs something to do. He needs to take his anger out on something. And maybe it's going to be poor Zed. But no, you have that gang show up and attack. The Tatooine boys, as they may be called, they attack. And even Zed says, well, these aren't exactly the people that we were after, but it's kind of convenient. Let's go. 
And yeah, Darth just destroys him. He just destroys him. Badass moment where he's walking out of fire and explosions. There he goes. I thought that you killed him. I thought that you did it. He just destroys them all and then goes off. Him and Zed go off then. And the next spot is Coruscant. And you end up having where Zed says, all right, we're done. He just went. The droid already wants to just go home and stop this. And that's where Darth's like, no droid. We've only just begun and pretty much may have actually, if I would have my way, sing the Carpenter's song as well. But I don't think Darth is going to do that. Uh, Maybe the 8-track player that he has on his chest. I always thought that that was uh, something like a tape recorder or 8-track player. It'd be pretty cool. Put in a little Carpenter's. He goes off. And again, you have to kind of look at this through a lot. Uh, You don't have Darth saying much. That no, we've just begun pretty much some of his biggest dialogue, but you never think of it. And that's why I do like Zed there. Zed's there to kind of keep things moving uh, or we're going to have a lot of silent issues. They go to Coruscant. They end up going to where there is a big bust of Amidala where Darth Vader just cracks it open. And that's where her apartment was. And he goes in. It's been shut down. There hasn't been anybody in there. It seems since she died. Uh, They're going through all the different reports. Darth Vader tells Zed this was Skywalker's mother. And Zed starts thinking. He says, yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. It looks like maybe uh, this young uh, Jedi that was assigned to her did have the last name Skywalker. I think they started smooching. And then they ended up having a kid. That makes complete sense. Now, again, you're going to have a little look at some little background deal and i will stop here to tell you that the art and this is incredible i love the art throughout i really really like the prequel stuff that they show with pretty much the movie hayden christensen uh you end up having natalie portman you know deal and they look great uh there's another thing coming up that that i don't know why i got so happy it's just crazy uh because then you're trying to find out okay you know who knew that Padme was pregnant. This is what Darth is trying to figure out. Who am I going to go to next? Because somebody ended up trying to hide the records from me. You end up having things wiped away. Who would this be? Well, in the meantime, you end up having Zed find a little tracking device that does seem to be working still, a scout transmitter, where he's trying to find out, hmm, who are you reporting to? Which seems to lead to the planet Vendexa, where there are a bunch of bug aliens attacking an outpost. You see, Commander, locals have been finally gone crazy, breaching the doors. And then you go in, and yeah, it's Jar Jar. And I'm telling you, for a character that not a lot of people like, I'm not a huge fan, seeing him made me so happy. It just made me so happy. See, I don't know why. I can't, I'll never be able to explain it. I'll never be able to do anything, but yeah, you got a vac. Like we're without the crew. The crew's gone and you have all this stuff going on. Then Darth shows up here, starts slicing these bug type. I mean, even look like bug slash like octopus cockroaches. Just disgusting. Darth starts slashing them, ends up to where there's the point where he's getting to. And this is where you have the big cliffhanger. Uh, even Zed says by the maker because he's so surprised because the person in this thing here that seems to be with Jar Jar things to be with all these people. Uh, you know, here's the spoiler. It's Padme. She appears to be alive. Now, is this really her? 
is this the handmaiden is this you know the kira knightley character deal i don't know because darth recognized her as padme so i can only assume that he would know no and yeah this is crazy this would be the you know having amidala meet her former husband who's now darth vader and that's crazy it's one of the craziest cliffhangers i think there's ever been in years uh and it's it's good and this this whole issue is good and i know i'm goofing off and and all that but i really really like this and i think that greg puck again there's a lot of things that could go wrong with a darth vader solo book also the thing that it's following a really good run of a Darth Vader solo book. So you have to do something different, but you're also shoehorned between movies. And I think with all that said and done, this is done really well. And it's really one of those things, almost like the Mandalorian, if you're watching that or had watched it uh, with all the Easter eggs and you're, you're ending up watching a show that you're like, the people are doing this John Favreau on down the people are doing this love Star Wars, I can tell, and also love the things I like about Star Wars, all these. This has that feel. You, you end up having not as Easter eggs per se, because you're, you're actually in the era that a lot of the Easter eggs for The Mandalorian are coming from, but callbacks, flashbacks, things like that. Even just the little thing where you end up having ZC and talk about the oil bet. These are all little things that make me smile. Uh, Jar Jar, Padme, crazy. Uh, but yeah, I really like it. I gave it a nine out of 10 and I'll tell you again, the art is great. The art is incredible, but the dialogue's great. Greg Pak does such a good job in this whole thing. Every character sounds right. Uh, and introduced a droid that I thought I was going to hate by the end of this issue. I love so all of that all wrapped in the one is such a great issue. So yeah, nine out of 10, I recommend it. If you're reading the star Wars book, there is no reason not to be reading this, except maybe you can't afford it, but that's, you know, not here nor there. Just as a whole deal, it's so good. It is so good. But if you don't read the Star Wars book, but like Darth Vader, you can read this by itself. So that's what the great thing is. They've actually, uh, Charles Soule and Greg Puck, if it continues this route, the way they're doing it, such a clever way of doing it, such a cool way that it doesn't, you don't have to read both, but if you read both, it just expands it a little bit more and has some connections. So it's really good. Uh, but I'm going to move on to the next book. And you would think that after this one, like this has to be my favorite book of the week, right? You just gave a, an issue a 9 out of 10. Oh, my. What could be better? I'm going to go to something that's better and is one of my favorite issues in quite some time. My favorite series right now. And that obviously, if you've talked to me in any capacity, you will know already that that would be Daredevil. And that's Daredevil number 17, written by Chip Zdarsky, art by Jorge Fornes, colors by Nolan Woodard, and the letters by VCs Clayton Cowles. Daredevil is feeling the heat. You ain't getting out of the kitchen, though, right? Yeah, where, where's my rim shot for In recent weeks, Matt Murdock and Elektra have been reunited. In every sense of the word. Uh, together, they stage an assault on the Stromwind's two ultra-rich siblings. Freaky, those those are. Who have been controlling everything in Hell's Kitchen from the neighborhood's cash flow to the police presence on its streets. But Matt and Electra aren't the only ones who have come to conflict with the Stromwind's. Mayor Wilson Fisk himself has recently attacked by their personal security. Uh, yes, yeah, security and left in a bloody heap to lick his wounds. Uh, it's real late. 
thoughts now of all the times I've kind of stopped and done this. We're we're now past 3 a.m. So forgive me if I get a little wacky. Uh, You end up with Matt walking through the kitchen and thinking about all that money, all that money that Electra ended up taking, kept a billion for herself because, you know, a finder's fee, uh, but also did distribute it. They said before it was, you know, charity stuff like that. It means what they meant was it's it's kind of going back into Hell's Kitchen. And this is going to be one of those where it's even spelled out by my man Ed- Edmund later where is, something's going to come and, and screw up. Something you can't have a free lunch, he says. And he says eventually uh, whoever the money came from, the bill is going to come due eventually. So it, while this is going on, it's one of those things that Chip Zdarsky is dealing with the idea. It's not just surface level. Hey, everybody has money. Everything's great. You're going to see some repercussions, good, bad, uh, and indifferent of things that are happening because of this money and also because of Matt kind of gradually becoming Daredevil again, all these other things because the first person he goes to it to talk to because this is kind of a lot of Matt trying to make things right. He feels better now. We've seen he's fighting better. Even looking at news coming up, might be getting back into the red costume soon, even though he wants to do things a little different. But even so, he's kind of back on his game. But there's these loose ends. Uh, he in this series, he has kind of ruined some lives. He's also ending up taking some lives, all these things. So he wants to make it right uh, as you go forward. And he starts with Maria Carrero's apartment is the first place that he goes to. And if you don't recognize the name, she is the mother of Leo, the guy who got killed by Matt at the beginning of the series. And then also the mother of Joey, the guy who Matt was working as the parole officer for, uh, who knows that number one, Matt is Daredevil. Number two, that Matt killed his brother. Uh, so you end up having him go to their mother and he wants to make things right. And the way he's going to do this is he says, uh, you hear a lot of people in, in the whole hell's kitchen have got money. A lot of money was deposited in bank accounts. I just want you to know, I never shut down my law practice and I got a bunch of money in my bank account. I want to give it to you. I want to get you on your feet and things like that and you, you kind of have this where she's like you know what's going on why do you keep being so nice you're very nice but why and he's like well, well and then she says i i know you killed my son and it is it's pretty much you know your jaw drops to the floor uh it's not crazy that she knows but just she was being nice to him as she let him in she's giving him a drink and just says off the thing uh, I know you're him. You're the man who killed my boy. You're Daredevil. And he's like, well, oh, what? I don't know what you. No, no, no. I'm not going to play with this. You know, I'm not going to. But you killed my boy. He was the light of my life. But he was also on a terrible path. And I can see that you are desperate to make amends. I can see that the punishment that I could think that you deserve, you're giving yourself. And you're a good guy you're somebody who's good my son was not good i i realized this and you did not do this on purpose i miss my son i i never will stop missing him but uh you know you don't have to you know carry this but you will but i forgive you and she hugs him 
And it's a huge moment. You can tell I'm getting choked up again just doing this. This is the second time going through this for this podcast. It's such a good moment. It's such a strong moment of forgiveness of something that has been eating at Matt's crying. And it's one of those where he's had this, you know, heaviness for this and not knowing. And I'm sure you even get like, just imagine going to her house, not knowing how this is going to play out and and thinking that what you're going to do is you're going to end up going in there. You're going to give her the money. It's not going to probably make Matt feel better, but you want her to have something. And uh, and then it just turns into her just saying, I forgive you. I hope he still gives her the money because she deserves it. Uh, but then, you know, he is just kind of there. And and it, it really did. It, it made me cry when I read the first time. I'm not too embarrassed to admit it. And people are probably laughing at me. But it did. It made me cry. And it was more of like that, those tears of relief. Also, I was sad. There's a lot of emotions going through this. And you continue with this through this whole issue of not just Matt trying to make things right, but other people trying to make things right as well, because you go to Izzy next. And Izzy Libris, the head of the Libris crime family, uh, Hammerhead told her that she's out, that he's going to go and take over a bunch of things that were hers. She's not going to do anything about it because she's just an old lady and he's the new big bad besides Owsley. But here on the streets, you know, while Owsley's, you know, trying to be the new kingpin, I'm going to be, you know, Hammerhead's going to be the new guy who just goes and starts cracking heads and stealing money and doing all these things. And he's in a bar in Hell's Kitchen just beating up the owner, being just a piece of crap. And he treats his guys poorly, all these things. Izzy comes in and like, hey, hey, what's going on there, Hammerhead? Do you own this bar? He's like, no, who do you think I own the squatter's rights there, jerk? And she's like, oh, yeah, yeah, it sucks because, you know, the way that I run things is I love this neighborhood. I love Hell's Kitchen. Again, she is a mobster. She's the head of a crime family. But like a Matt, who is the hero, she loves they all love Hell's Kitchen. This is their neighborhood. And she is the old school mob who's there for the neighborhood. And they're uh, doing all these things. She's against some of the things that these new mobsters want to do. Uh, she wants the old school deal. And one of that is being invested in the neighborhood where she says, yeah, it's funny because you're all talking, yelling and screaming and trying to, you know, push how big and great you are. But you don't own anything in this neighborhood. This isn't your neighborhood. Yeah. yeah well, it is now, you know, whatever. And she's like, no, 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 it's not because you you, you don't care about this. Neighborhood. I have businesses. I run businesses in this neighborhood. And even at this point, you're still you're you're reading this and you're like, all right, she's talking. And then you realize because then she's like businesses who now got a lot of money put it in their bank account because of all that. And he's like, yeah, I heard about that stupid stuff, whatever. Well, now she has used the money basically like now I'm going to take you out. And he's like, really? Like, I have my guys here. You have yours. It's going to be a shootout. They all draw the guns. You know, it's a standoff between them. But then as he explains, you know, you're not a good guy. You treat your men like crap. And, uh, you know, that sort of people, they're easy to buy off with money that you get put into your bank account. And the guys, you know, uh, Hammerhead's guys just then turn their guns on him. She's paid off all his guys. And it's crazy, but it's smart. And it's just... He gets shot. It looks like he's dead. It looks like Hammerhead was killed here. And that's huge. I'm telling you, you go from huge moments to, to 
bigger moments and then other huge moments. It's it's crazy how much goes on in this issue. Because then, yeah, it looks like Hammerhead's dead. You end up with Izzy going off with a, a full crew. Um, you then have Matt go and talk to Foggy to tell Foggy all the info, the deets about all this money, the windfall of Hell's Kitchen, all the thinking maybe that Foggy is going to think that this is cool. He doesn't. He thinks it's stupid. He thinks that Matt is doing the same stupid mistakes that he always did. It doesn't matter if he calls himself Daredevil. He's going to end up with the same misery and hurt and pain. And he's like, you know, Electra, Daredevil, just get out of here. Get out of my office. I, I don't need to talk to you right now. It doesn't look like they're friends at the moment. Uh, Matt just kind of goes off, runs into his buddy Edmund. Who then says about the money, mainly his reason is to kind of put this doubt into Matt's mind, or at least open his eyes up a little. Uh, He's saying, hey, you know, the money, that's fine. All this money put into the house kitchen. But what happens when it's, you know, comes time to pay? You know, what's going to, who's going to come to take that? Who's going to end up? What is this going to end up turning into? And Matt kind of, you know, gives him like, oh, there is a, there is a darker side to all this money. Uh, coming down the pike uh, But we'll have to see what that is Then Matt And it is It's a it's a walking tour Of everybody's pain and misery And trying to make amends of it In this issue Matt ends up going off to the church That we've seen him go to And go and visit the nun That he talks to Sister Elizabeth And just says You know I put you in a lot of harm uh, me being here, me coming to talk to you, put you in a lot of harm. I can't explain what that means, but believe me, I have. Uh, and I'm not going to be coming around anymore. And she's like, well, you know, you always need God. And he's like, no, no, I have God in my heart. I have him more than ever. And I, he knows I need to help. He's given me responsibility to help, the tools to do it. It's one of those, you know, I'm going to do what God made me for, and that's to be daredevil. As he goes, there's a weird panel because he ends up, Matt says, I will do his will. Goodbye, Sister Elizabeth, and thank you. And then there's one panel where she's, she's just staring at the door that he just left. And I can only think that she's more than just a nun that's been talking to him. It is a weird panel the way she doesn't say anything and just looks at that door. I will say you end up then he calls Mindy and tells Mindy basically, hey, I'm sorry, I, I ruined your life, or at least I almost did. I'm not going to call you anymore. I'm sorry. You were right. I effed up. And, uh, you know, and though I was I thought I was helping, but I wasn't. I won't contact you again. This will be the next message. I think you're great, but take care. In the meantime, while that's happening, you also end up having Fisk being told by Wesley, hey. There's this big, you know, windfall in the kitchen. That's what they're calling the kitchen windfall. All the people are getting money. There, there was this stolen stuff from the shop. Nobody knows who did it, all these leads, whatever. But there's also an event tonight that you should go to. It's the Soho Venetian Masquerade Ball. It's going to be somewhere the Stromwinds are doing this. You end up having Fisk, who has been, you know, working from home. Lately, because he doesn't want to run into anybody, just sitting there on his, you know, rooftop deal in his bathrobe. And it's like, are the strong ones are going to be there? Yes. And he's not going. He's not going. 
and he is hiding again. There is a lot going on here. You go off then to Owlsley, who wants to be the new kingpin. He's proclaimed himself the new kingpin. He's heard about what Izzy did. I'm uh, making the play for Hammerhead's men. He's like, I should be impressed, but also she might be coming for me, this territory, all this. We're going to have to show her a thing or two and uh, go for the family. And they go off. His henchmen go off. And what ends up happening is they end up kidnapping Mindy's daughter, Belle, which is awful. It's awful. Uh, so you have that. You do have Matt then go off to the masquerade ball where he ends up putting on a mask because he doesn't want to be seen with the strom ones. Then he goes up to the strom ones and just says, what are you doing in Hell's Kitchen? I I hear that there's, you know, there's rumor. They say at first, oh, it must be the press. They're not supposed to be here. Uh, Eventually they, or maybe right away, they know that it's Matt and they know Matt is daredevil. If you're what they seem to be multiple trillionaire deal, you know stuff and they know more i think than they were letting on um but yeah he ends up just saying basically to quinn and una strom when what are you doing in the kitchen i hear that you ended up saying that the police can't be there and you're you're funding a gang war what's the deal and they eventually tell him and the thing that i think chip zdarsky makes a good play on this it is just a simple thing it's something that you could figure out it's basically Get the gangs in, no police, but, you know, ends up people moving out, lowers the rate. They come in, they buy up all the property, and then they build it up. Obviously, then where they would have, say, if it was Mayor Fisk still, make an initiative to the hell's, we're going to clean up Hell's Kitchen. Hell yeah. And then all of a sudden the rates go through the roof. This is how they make their money. But to them, it is just a simple money making deal. Again, almost being like how Hammerhead ended up getting killed earlier because he didn't care about the kitchen. He just wanted to go in and cause trouble. This is going to continue, in my mind, to cause the Stromlins a lot of trouble because they're not invested in the, you know, having Hell's Kitchen for what it is. They want to turn it into their own thing. They're not part of that. Uh, and they are running and butting heads with Daredevil. But the Stromlins are just so powerful with all their money and things. You see Fisk won't even face them uh, as this is going on and they're talking because they also make it like, huh, Hell's Kitchen, is that even in New York City? I've never heard of such a place. You know, they're making it seem like they've never had a concern for Hell's Kitchen or anything about it. They barely even remember even talking to anybody or getting a memo about the police night, all this stuff. Like, you're just, a, you're not even a blip on the radar. You're not even on the radar, like really, really digging into Matt about you think you're the big bad guy who's going to come and save everybody like Robin Hood here. We don't even care about you. This house kitchen, we don't care about. Uh, As this is going on now, you end up in a cool scene that ends up where you end up seeing, I I guess it is Una uh, whispering into one of the guy's ears and all of a sudden in little panels as it goes. People are leaving the masquerade ball to what you end up having is Matt, the strong ones and their guys all alone in this gala. It makes it also show you how powerful these people are. A whisper can get everybody to clear out of this huge party. All these things going down. Now, Matt should know that this is going on. He can hear. I would even think that he could hear the whispering from, you know, the strong ones to 
the enforcers. Then with people shuffling out, they're not going to be quiet enough for Matt. So I get the idea that he knows this is going on. I wish that it was spelled out a little more because it's not as if he is surprised when he's left alone. It's that he ends up where you do have his kind of radar sense there, real or sonar. Uh, you know, ending up realizing that there are reinforcements uh, showing up. But I would have liked that he, you know, we fully knew that he was hearing people leave and he knows that he's left alone and he's going to be going into battle. Uh, he doesn't want to hurt anybody. He's just going to jump around, punch some people. And this is that whole idea of the new daredevil. He's more on the defensive. He's not going to attack. He even says the old me would fight these men. The old me wouldn't rest until his knuckles were bleeding, his ribs bruised. The old me's dead. Uh, this is his new one. He came there to find out the info. He did. He found out that the Stromwins were doing this just as a very straightforward, almost surface-level deal of lower the rates, buy the property, you know, make them raise the rates again and make money off it. That's all it is. And he says, we weren't even a blip on their radar, not people, not a community, just numbers. And that, again, was spelled out as well with Hammerhead. So I think that that is a really good deal of showing this where the people of Hell's Kitchen are matter to each other. Also might end up with a Matt teaming up possibly with Izzy's guys and things like that in a crazy deal. We'll have to see how that goes. It would be odd. Um, but he ends up getting away from these guys. He ends up scaling the building, jumping over. You know, he's doing parkour. And if people still do that, he ends up getting a call from Mindy who's just yelling, I, I know that you said you represented superheroes before. I, I need them. I need you. They, they took Bell. They took my baby. You need to get them. So this makes, you know, there's Matt's next big thing to center on is that Owsley had kidnapped Bell. So if that's not enough, you end up then with the Stromans leaving the party. The party, oh, what a party pooper that Matt was. Ended up ruining the party, going out. And they're still talking about that robbery. They're still talking about the money. But the money doesn't seem, like I said, it's more pride. It's more the idea that somebody got something over on them. And they're not people who like to get something over on. So they end up talking like, oh, man, he got lucky with that robbery. That's it. He's done because you end up having them like, uh, is this somebody we need to worry about? We have to worry about this going forward. No, no, no. It's just something he got lucky before. Um, But this Hell's Kitchen plan, and and when they talk, it seems like, oh, that blip on the radar was a little more than what you're saying because you're now saying you got to expedite this Hell's Kitchen plan, though. Uh, Its residents came to some money. I'm sure something specific could be done to this vigilante our vigilante friend meaning matt and it's it's a, a play on words and i think it's very clever the way that chip Sidorsky ends this where it's like one of those where you end up having quinn he's like yeah don't we have that guy on retainer what's his name uh you know like lester uh, uh you mean lester that bullseye and it's bullseye so i i extended that stupid joke a little too long but yeah Bullseyes in, in, in the house soon. So that's crazy. So, yeah, there's the thing. And, and where I had seen some people saying like, oh, Chip Sadarsky is having some things hang around too long. He's not tying up loose ends. The, the thing is, you get more and more each issue. There's not things forgotten. 
they're built upon or things that do end up being resolved just open up a bigger thing and things like that. And this issue, the only thing that I could find wrong with it and the only thing that kept me from a perfect score, and, and I am around the lines, if you listen to the DC podcast, I'm on the lines of Eric that I do that with who started off the Marvel podcast with me and Brandon of the idea that a 10 out of 10 is a perfect comic. I mean, this is a comic that will be put on the shelf with only five others ever. It's so, it's, it's tough to give a score, a perfect score. I mean, these are going to be things that 50 years from now, people will be talking about still. They'll be the handful of comics that people will always bring up. I don't think that Daredevil number 17 from this run is a perfect comic, something that will be like that sort of deal. Though a 9.9, there's a lot of those around. These are things that in the time frame, it was awesome. In where it's coming from, awesome. Yeah, there's some things that might not play off well, but boy, it's one of the best comics that is coming out at that moment. And this is just my justification for scores and things like that and how i think like this and in my mind reading this i thought that i was satisfied i was crying i ended up a roller coaster ride of emotions as we say in the reviewer 101 and and legitimately usually that's said as a blurb to get on the back of a you know a dust cover or something this is not the case here it was a roller coaster ride of emotions and it is one of my favorite issues one of the craziest issues that i've read in years and I'm giving it a 9.9, and it just was great. I, I loved it. The only thing that I could really say that was really, really wrong, uh, I don't like the way Jorge Fornes' uh, art is. I said last time that I reviewed uh, Daredevil on the podcast, I'm not a huge Jorge Fornes fan, but other than that, it's a great issue. If you're not reading Daredevil, please, you need to go read it. It's not getting enough sales. And it's it's this should be one of the best selling books each and every month. That's how good it is. Uh, also, I will tell you also, I'm uh, paging through as I'm saying that I do like the idea that Tom Mindy's husband looks a little like Steven Seagal, you know, and, and now the, the piece of crap Steven Seagal now, not the kick ass Steven Seagal before. Uh, but yeah, it's just, it's such a good comic. The series is great. Everything about it is just so good. And, uh, I just, if you want to have a story, a lot of, you know, it's one of the buzzwords or whatever of it's a more human superhero. You heard that a lot with Tom King's Batman, where a lot of that to me was just kind of on the surface. It wasn't really dealt with enough. You ended up, you know, kind of brushing aside a lot of this is it. This is. This daredevil, Chip Zdarsky's writing, is the human behind the superhero, but also the human who is building himself up to be the superhero and also the world that needs that superhero. There's Everything is taken care of here. Everything is addressed in ways that may not be comfortable a lot of times. And even with this issue, my favorite deal, Cole North, he's not even in this issue. And I can't wait to see him again. So, yeah, this is the one book that I have to read the minute that I get my hands on it. The others, I'm like, eh, I'm not going to review it till, you know, Wednesday. Oh, I'm not going to talk on the podcast until Saturday. And people, you you can ask anybody who does talk to me, and I love talking to people. So if you do go on Twitter, that's why I like to follow people back so that you can DM me and stuff like that. But if we talk, if you ever say like on a Wednesday, 
hey, what would you think about so-and-so book? If it's a book that I don't review, I usually don't read them until the time of the podcast. The, the minute that I get my hands, we have the review copy. The minute the review copies come in, I am going right to Daredevil. It's out that we can read it because I love it so much. But I'm, I'm going to stop gushing. You know, and gushing too much. They, they have a letters page for the Daredevil. I got to check it together. I can gush to them too. Uh, then I'll be W.S. Werner is what I'll be. I'll, I'll fool them that way that time. But yeah, I, I got to just, I love talking Daredevil. I love trying to get people to read it because I've yet to have somebody read it and say that they didn't like it. And I end up looking like a hero. You know, it's very easy for me to be a hero that way, just pushing somebody else's work. That's awesome. And that's, you know, that's how I am. I'm lazy like that. But yeah, that's it for the podcast. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed having three books. I hope that I didn't ramble. I know I rambled. I'm not going to say that, you know, I didn't because I can tell it's now almost 4 a.m. So I got to I got to get out of here. I got to go to bed. This thing called sleep. But thanks, everyone. Uh, And again, if you want to check us out, get a little more uh, bang for your buck. Go over to patreon.com slash weird science warrior. A ton of shows, a ton of Marvel shows, a ton of comic book shows, some other things other than comics, all this stuff all rolled up in the one I think that you would like. And if you go over now, you won't be charged until March. If you quit before March, you'll never be charged. So you can just go and check it out. And that's what I really hope people do is go check it out because I think that once you do, you'll realize the amount of effort and work we put into it. And yeah, I would hope there's quality there, but there's a lot of quantity over quality. But I think that we do some quality stuff as well. I think that some people would enjoy it. So go check it out. That's all I ask. But that's it. I'm going to stop rambling. I'm going to go to bed. But I will talk to you in a couple days.